Hello everybody, this is Indiana Jim, back with you for a Riding Crusade episode. This may turn into a Riding Crusade daily, I think I'm going to bring that back again. Uh, I'm going to try, I'm going to think about trying. I haven't decided yet whether or not I want to do that. But I was listening to Nathan Lowell again, talking on my morning walk. You can find it in your podcatcher as T-O-M-M-W. And he's been doing this for 100 years. No, 1,700 plus episodes now. You know, it's kind of funny that I should happen upon it while uh, trying to renew my commitment to my many creative endeavors. When uh, the first one of the new year, he was trying to get back in line with his creative output and his self-care, personal health stuff i'm trying this first on my uh on my bluetooth my lg bluetooth uh, earbud things to kind of see what we get and then i'm going to be switching probably to my turtle beach bluetooth headset i still think there's a lot of value also to having a riding crusade as a as a as a spin-off of the adventures of indiana gym but it would be one of those things where this week is you know a riding crusade episode um because I, I I do have a lot of people that follow me that listen to me that are also fiction writers. So where I'm at in the writing, finishing up now the Blade Wielders book one, which originally was slated to be published by Grail Quest Books, which is no longer the case. We came to an agreement about the Blade Wielder series, that they would pick it up and they would publish it. Just the paper version. I would retain ebook rights and, and, and as far as I know, audio rights. <laughs> Which we, we didn't have a contract. We had an email agreement. And it was very loose. There, there, were, there were very few terms. Most of it was blanket statements. It wasn't a complicated thing. You know, a few points, one page document, that kind of deal. Just to print these rights and of course I probably would have insisted on a contract had we gotten to the point where I was ready for them to publish it but that was six years ago it was 2012 so it was an old agreement and my publishing goals have changed part of it having to do with where I felt how I felt things were handled with the worst property I, I'm not gonna say a lot of negative stuff about it because it was a fun experience and I've made some great friends like James Wilder who was hosted the uh, the Wars fan club folks up at Hanover College here in Indiana I've written a novella for his 10,000 Dawns shared world and he's working on on edits for that right now which that was also a lot of fun and good practice um, and really kind of taught me the momentum of writing again, which I've desperately been needing to get back to. You know, Josh, his focus right now is is on the ministry. He's, he's in a Lutheran seminary. He's actually a, a pastor of a small a church in, uh, in the Northeast or across the, across the river from Toronto. So I know his focus is not really on uh, uh, the publishing thing. It, it's a side business for him. 
and and to be honest you know this is like a side business for me and I haven't even made any money at it yet um, and I really feel like I want to take I don't want to start off with a publishing arrangement with another company you know right now at this stage I want to see what I can do and so my publishing goals have changed there and um, you know honestly it really it helped once I once I I emailed Josh and I and I told him you know because at the end of the document it says it can be canceled anytime but you know given a defined waiting period or whatever it was and since it wasn't even in the pipeline to be published yet I hadn't even finished the the, the basically the first draft really yet um, I've done a lot of cycling like Dean Wesley Smith talks about so it's not it's in better than first draft status I believe. <laughs> But like I said, it, it really actually freed me up to finish this thing because I sort of felt like I was constrained to the way I pitched the story. And it's not that it's any drastic change. It's just, it's just in subtle ways that I felt constrained to a certain, uh, not quality, a certain vibe, a certain feel certain things that I that I was self-censoring oh that wouldn't fit with what we want to do that wouldn't fit with what Grail quest wants out of the out of the story and so I wanted to be able to not be self-filtering in the middle of writing the book and that's where I felt that I was again it has a lot to do with writing and publishing goals being changed and I think the reason that my writing and publishing goals have changed is because I've been trying to come to terms with productivity. Obviously, you know, I'm a big fan of Dean Wesley Smith and Christine Catherine Rush. And I try to take to heart the lessons that Dean is trying to teach. I have stories that I know I can learn to write the way he teaches to write the amount of words that it takes to build momentum sorry if there's some noise on the mic to write in such a way that builds momentum in my independent publishing career and business and so what happened is because I had this outline and that's the way the story came to me and, and I've learned to kind of accept that, you know, that, that, I, that I write different books in different ways. I've got a fantasy book that's more a, a, more a direct YA kind of thing. It's basically how I read, you know, Robert Jordan or let's say like R.A. Salvatore. Kind of a Tad Williams sort of vibe uh, from the Dragonbone Chair, if you've ever read that. That's kind of the along the lines there. I wrote that without an outline from start to finish. And I wish for the life of me now that I could remember how long that took me because it wasn't a really long process and it's about a 90,000 word novel. And I wrote that without an outline. I just started with the beginning idea and kind of went where it, it took me. And it was really refreshing to be able to do that. So I know I can do it, and I know I can learn to do it faster. 
with more discipline. You know, not, not faster, but you know, spend more time per day working on it so that it gets done sooner is more probably the, the better way to put it. And I'm, I'm kind of learning more now how to, how to discipline myself. And so by being a slave to the outline, one of the things that happens is if you have an outline and you're a slave to the outline, you, now I was able to make deviations from the outline as they occurred to me and go, okay, yeah, I can, I can take a little detour here and we can, and without hurting the outline. Well, let's say you make a deviation that completely changes fundamentally <clears throat> the story, which is not what happened to me, but say that happens. <clears throat> what you're going to be doing is telling your creative voice, the part of you that likes to play in this world, the part of you that comes up with the ideas, your subconscious, your create, your, your innate creativity is squelched because no, you have to follow the outline. That's your editorial voice. And I'm starting to learn now that now that Dean's been teaching about these things. At first, it was like really like I have no idea what you mean. I, it's woo, way out there. But now I'm starting to really understand. As I'm getting more into the personal development space, um, going through Tony Robbins' Awaken the Giant Within, reading The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks, listening to Cliff Ravenscraft, you know, all of these things subconscious, 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 empowering the subconscious. I'm starting to realize exactly what Dean is talking about in a way that makes more sense to me. So that by freeing my subconscious mind to write the story that it is getting, you know, that's the place your good ideas come from. Your good ideas do not come from your editorial voice. Never. And I will, I will die on that hill. Your best ideas never come from your conscious editorial voice. All the best ideas come to you in a flash, in an instant, a moment of inspiration. So understanding that your subconscious mind comes up with the good ideas, if you have an outline, now outlines are not terrible, they give you a, a skeleton structure. Let's take Robert Jordan, okay? He famously has said that when he thought of the idea, he had an opening scene in mind and an ending scene in mind. How do I get from point A to point B? That's an outline. And so what happened is he thought he was going to get there in, in three books, right? Or maybe he started out one book and he was like, well, maybe three. Well, maybe five. Well, maybe eight. Well, no, ten. Ended up taking 12 books to get there. And all this time he's, he's thinking up new things that we have to do this. We have to do that. Oh, we need to go here. We need to go there. We need to, you know. And so the tale, as Tolkien once famously said, grew in the telling. If you have an outline, you know, who knows what the series could have become if he deviated from the outline. If he said, you know what, that ending scene, that's not important. But that's that's the way it came to him. Same thing with this Blade Wielder, the first book in this series. The same, It came to me in the same way. Um, I kind of know what needs to happen in book two, but I don't know how it needs to end. I knew how book one needed to end. I don't know how book two is going to end, but I do know what it's going to set up in book three. Book three, I have no idea where it's going. And at first that was scary. Now it's just like, ooh, that's, it's fallow ground for ideas for my subconscious mind to go play and make stuff up. I have now switched microphones. Once I came to the decision to cancel the agreement with GrailQuest Books, like I said, it freed me up 
to write the story and end it the way I wanted to end it. Not that the ending really deviated from my original thought, but for whatever reason, it gave me that, that ability to relax because I wasn't so concerned with where it was going or how it was going to be edited or how long it was going to take to edit it. I think the fact that I knew that I'd be able to get this out as quickly as I wanted to gave me the impetus to finally get to where I'm finishing it up now. And I've been slowly but surely thinking through how do I want to end it? Where do I want to go? What do I want to say? What do I need to cover before the the book is over? And maybe that's maybe I'm holding myself back there too. I don't know. I know that once I'm done with it, I can move on to my other the other things I want to write for a while before I have to go back to a sequel. And I say have to go back to a sequel. I want to go back to a sequel. I don't know how long that's going to be because the way it ends could be a could be a standalone sort of cliffhanger kind of not really a cliffhanger but just a gosh kind of a bittersweet ending i wonder what happened to the characters after that so it may be one of those things where i just come back to it a good bit later instead of trying to make it a series those series sell and i have no doubt that it will be a series i just don't know again how quickly i want to do that but i have some story ideas that lend themselves to the pulp writing style that I think I'd love to play in and start really cranking stuff out because I won't be beholden to any outlines. I just have some general ideas. Uh, And then I'd like to practice being able to write from my subconscious mind, my creative voice instead of my editorial voice, you know, put the editorial voice away, the critical voice, and really go with my creative voice. I guess the, the, the good thing is, again, like I said, I get to decide instead of, oh, it's going to be edited by this person and what's their timetable like, I get to decide. I need a couple proofreaders, not beta readers, proofreaders. Um, I don't need anybody to tell me if my story's good. I want somebody to tell me, check for errors. If you spot any glaring errors, don't tell me, don't give me style issues. I don't, I don't care. Don't tell me how to punctuate my sentences. I don't care. Unless I, you know, you missed a period or, you know, whatever. That, fix it. Great. Um, this should end in a question mark. Yes. But don't tell me, oh, you should comma this instead. Oh, you're comma splicing it. I don't care. I really don't care. I want the book to read the way I want it to read. You know, I'm even experimenting a little bit with, if you're writing from the perspective of someone who's drunk, what does that sound like? What does that look like on the page? You don't write it normally, but I'll, I'll come to that some other time. But just the beauty of the freedom that it gave me to release it, to just release that idea, release the, the commitment to publish, the agreement to publish it. Because I'm going in a, a different way. And I think Josh is too. He was very gracious, by the way, and very kind. Just want to make sure we know that. So I'm really getting kind of excited. You know, this thing's almost done. Um, I'm down to the last chapter and a half. Uh, all that's left is, you know, everything is turning upside down for the main character right now. All that remains is counting the bodies. <laughs> or no, um, all that remains is um, one more person has to die, and we need to have the Shane ending, uh, and um, and then a little bit of aftermath and reaction, and done. So another another fifteen thousand words, maybe if that. So closing in on the ending. Just starting to re- realize what it's like to have fun writing again. And, and as soon as I get done with this, I can start cranking something out 
and see what I can do. I've got one definite, another definite fantasy series that the first volume just needs. I just need to go back and reevaluate real quick. Nothing, nothing major. Just I feel like the beginning stutters a little bit, and I just need to polish up some of the prose and fix the ending a little bit, and then or just make the ending more well defined. And then the other one I mentioned, the YA thing, maybe a series, probably is, you know, series sell, and that's kind of how I think of, I think in trilogies. Now <laughs> I've been conditioned to think in trilogies. Just to polish mainly the ending. I, I, I gave it kind of a, a cheeky ending, um, kind of silly. I went too far into the silly. The book's definitely got a lot of humor in it, but I think I, I ended it a little more Monty Python-esque. <laughs> maybe, maybe a little Spaceballs-esque. No Brooks. And, and that wasn't quite right. So not like breaking the fourth wall kind of Mel Brooks, but it was just kind of silly, you know. Just just tighten that up, give it a once-over proofread, and then I can start publishing that. And that's really where I need to start thinking, because I have three volume ones almost ready to go. And I need to start thinking, well, do I, need, do I want to just finish those series, just work on those series? Do I want to start something new? Do I want to start something that I can work on concurrently with one of those series, which is probably what I'm going to end up doing. I'll be like, here's my, here's this pulpy space opera thing that I'm working on, and on the side, here's this fantasy series I'm working on. So, the first thing you see for me, maybe this Blade Wielders book. That's all I've got for today. It's been a pleasure, and hopefully, I'll speak to you again tomorrow with another Writing Crusade Daily. <laughs>